It's time for Cover 2 Broncos. Just a couple dudes breaking down scheme, film, and the numbers. Now, your host, Joe Rowles. Welcome back to another episode of Cover 2 Broncos. I am Joe Rowles, and it has been a whirlwind week in Broncos country. Uh, and there is nobody that I would rather talk about it with than one of my best friends in the entire world, uh, JT Olson. Writes for Bucks Report. You may see him on Twitter at Icewater Olson. Uh, thanks for joining me. I'm really, really glad to talk to you. Joe, it's always good to talk to you. Thank you for having me on. Of course. I, I kind of like the idea of making the, the, the Super Bowl preview slash holy shit, what the hell's going on? Like our, annu- <laughs> our annual, this is like a thing now. Like this is the second year. Although I got to say last year was probably a little bit happier for you. Uh, sorry about your bucks. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, disappointing. I felt like going into that game, whoever won that Bucks Rams game was going to win the Super Bowl, and it wasn't us. So it's a real bummer. And Von Miller knocked Tom Brady out of his career. That was. Yeah, between Miller and Aaron Donald, Brady couldn't even breathe back there. No, he decided, you know what? This is a young man's game. I'm done. Yeah, and who can blame him? Donald might be the best defensive player ever. Von Miller looks like he has the found Von Miller of old. Yeah, it's been imp- it's been impressive. But uh, a couple Broncos things before we start to like really chew on the Super Bowl matchup, though, and I'm I'm really excited to dig into that. But first and foremost, kind of the bombshell. Obviously, this really caught me by surprise. Probably caught a lot of people by surprise yesterday. Uh, and again, guys, we're recording this on Wednesday. Uh, Brian Flores, the coach who was the coach of the Miami Dolphins, has sued the NFL and three teams, the Dolphins, the Broncos and the Giants, uh, alleging discrimination regarding his interview processes with the Broncos and the New York Giants. Uh, Probably not going to dig too much into the Giants part of it. I know it's related to Brian Dobble and the fact that he got a text from uh, Bill Belichick congratulating him on the job. That sucks. I mean, that would really suck to find out that you didn't get the job that way. Uh, I, I like the idea that Bill Belichick probably has both of those coaches in his phone as assistant coach Brian. I think that's pretty funny. But uh, but the, the big news that that is obviously related to the Broncos. Um, and Mahal Reports' AJ Schulte shared this on Twitter. Guys, if you don't follow him, go follow him. He's at AJ Draft Scout. Uh, but he shared the, the part of the lawsuit Um, And I'm just going to read it so you guys can kind of hear it. Uh, Incredibly, this was not Mr. Flores' first sham interview that was held only in an effort to comply with the Rooney rule. Uh, Indeed, in 2019, Mr. Flores was scheduled to interview with the Denver Broncos. However, the Broncos then general manager, John Elway, president and chief executive officer, Joe Ellis, and others showed up an hour late to the interview. They looked completely disheveled, and it was obvious that they had been drinking heavily the night before. It was clear from the substance of the interview that Mr. Flores was interviewed only because of the Rooney rule and that the Broncos never had any intention to consider him as a legitimate candidate for the job. Shortly thereafter, Vic Fangio, a white man, was hired to be the head coach of the Denver Broncos. Uh, That's from the lawsuit. Um, About an hour and a half after that dropped yesterday, again on Tuesday, uh, the Broncos came out and aggressively denied it. Uh, They said it is not true. Uh, they said that Joe Ellis was attending to a personal matter. Uh, they said that there was five executives in the room, that they have proof that they can prove it. Uh, and then this morning, Wednesday morning, 
Brian Flores basically responded to that by saying the truth will come to light. Um, so that's kind of in terms of like the he said, he said, or he said, they said part of it. That's kind of what's out there. Uh, the Broncos have said it's all false. Brian Flores is saying I will prove it. The Broncos are saying they'll prove it. So we'll kind of see where that goes. Uh, I remember when the Broncos did interview Brian Flores, and at least when it was on Twitter, they announced you know that they were going to have the interview, and then they announced that the interview was over. It it did seem very fast. Um, maybe the social media team was a little bit late to the game in terms of re- you know releasing that they were doing it. I wasn't in the room. I can't tell you if I smelt booze on anybody. I didn't <laughs> see anybody. I have no pictures. I, you know, I don't have any of that. Um, obviously, I hope it is not true. Uh, this is the second lawsuit alleging some sort of discriminatory process in terms of related to Elway. Um, so that is noteworthy. Uh, Colin Kaepernick did sue the NFL, and then John Elway was named in that suit for basically the fact that he got blackballed from the NFL. Um, not going to dig into that too deeply. I, I, if you're listening to this, you probably know it. Uh, but it is, again, it's noteworthy that Elway has now been sued twice, alleging stuff like this. Um, in the process of all this, the Broncos are still going up for sale as well. Again, this all came out Tuesday. It's been a, it's been a weird week um, in Broncos country. Uh, I don't really know where to go with it other than just, again, I hope it's not true. Um, we'll find out. Um, and in the meantime, the Broncos are kind of moving forward with their off season. Uh, John Elway is officially still the president of the Denver Broncos. Joe Ellis is still ahead of him. Uh, but underneath all that, George Payton is the general manager, the acting general manager, just hired Nathaniel Hackett. That is the other big news. He hired him last week. Uh, I talked about it a little bit on Friday with Bobby Peters. If you guys haven't listened to that episode, we dug into the scheme a little bit of Nathaniel Hackett. Since then, Hackett has begun to hire his assistants. Um, so we'll kind of move to that. Um, unless you have any thoughts on everything with Brian Flores. The one thing that really stood out to me with that situation is how quickly the NFL came out and denied the allegations. And I don't remember exactly how long it was. It felt like it was within the hour, two hours. Yeah. So you would think this is something they'd want to investigate, you know, look into a little deeper. And just like you, I have no idea if this is really, you know, a discrimination kind of situation or it's just bad business. John Elway might've been drunk. I don't know. Like you said, we weren't there, but I mean, the Dable thing sucks, but I think it was the right choice as coach. You know, if you're trying to build a young offense, you're trying to develop a quarterback, but that's, you certainly don't want to go through what is essentially a fake interview when you've already got your guy in hand. So it's definitely unacceptable. It's definitely unprofessional. I don't know if it's going to get the results he wants, but Brian, Brian Flores, he comes off as a guy of really high moral character and someone who he comes off a little gruff, you know, he's kind of, I'm going to tell you the way it is and you might not like it, but it's the way it is. And, you know, it kind of seemed that way in Miami. He drove out a couple of stars like Minka Fitzpatrick there. But one thing I always got from him was he had high integrity. He had, you know, a really straight shooter kind of vibe to him. So like you said, it's all going to play out. It's all going to unfold. I'd like to think that 
that's not the case where it's a, the racial discrimination situation. But when you look at the the numbers of black coaches in the NFL compared to black players in the NFL, I think it's what 80% of the players are black and 5% of the coaches are black. I mean, that's disproportionate. So obviously there's a problem. I don't know if this lawsuit will fix the problem, but it's definitely a fight worth fighting. And the part for me, as far as that, And again, I don't know anything beyond, you know, just thinking about it, but Brian Flores has to know that by suing the NFL, he is hurting his chances, if not eliminating his chances at being a head coach again uh, in the NFL. And so for me, it seems really hard to believe that he is making it up. Uh, Again, I'm open. I'm open to, you know, whatever the facts bear out. But that's just kind of where I land on it right now is I don't know why he would make this up. Um, Whereas the NFL, after two hours saying it's all false, they have a lot to gain by doing so. Um, Whereas Flores doesn't gain anything by lying about this. And last I heard, he was still a very viable candidate for both the Saints job and the Texans job. So it's not like this is, you know, some bitter old man who's washed out of the league and he's trying to take people down with him. He is a active candidate for two big jobs and like you said this will not help the situation i mean this is going to be tense this is going to be uncomfortable this could turn teams away from him so this like you said it could hurt his chances but the fact that he's still willing to do that and fight that fight i think that does add that much more validity to it okay agreed and again guys i'm we don't know, you know, how this is going to go from here. I do know that a big part of this that is going to be under a lot of discussion going forward, uh, and I just want to throw it out there. It's not related to the Broncos. But Flores also alleged that the Dolphins owner, Stephen Ross, was willing to pay him $100,000 per loss uh, during the 2019 season. Uh, Hugh Jackson has actually come out. Uh, the Browns' former head coach has come out and said that they did the same thing or something similar. Uh, which might end up getting leading to an investigation into uh, fixing games, essentially. Uh, I don't know exactly where that's going yet, because, again, it's not really related to the Broncos, as far as I know. I don't think anyone's paying Nathaniel Hackett to tank. Um, but it, it is out there, so just, you know, if you guys have not heard about this yet, somehow it is out there. Uh, but, I kinda, again, I kind of want to move to, like, the active news. It's a little bit lighter, I want to say. Uh, Nathaniel Hackett's hired a coaching staff. First of all, Nathaniel Hackett's a head coach. Like as somebody who is not a Broncos fan, uh, where do you land on it? Do you think the Broncos got the right guy? Honestly, I'm pretty lukewarm on it. I mean, just looking at his resume, what he was the offensive coordinator with the bills in 2013, 2014. And then he was offensive coordinator in Jacksonville for, was it 2017 to 19, I believe? Uh, I want to say 16 to 18, because then he left for the Packers. Okay. So what jumps out to me about both of those positions? Yeah. Both drafted a young quarterback to develop. Both failed with EJ Manuel and Blake Bortles. Mm-hmm. It was a disastrous fail. And those are both first round picks. So you always wonder when you get a coordinator who's coming from a high power offense that has an established quarterback like Aaron Rodgers, how much is the coordinator and how much is that future Hall of Fame quarterback? 
I'm, I'm, you've got a firsthand example with Adam Gase. I mean, Peyton Manning made him look really good. And then when he had to stand on his own two feet, he looked really bad. So I'm a little bit hesitant that you might be getting that kind of situation because when he's had his time to shine, he hasn't really looked that good. I think that's fair. Uh, I, I liked him uh, of all the candidates, the Broncos interviewed, he was my favorite. Uh, I believed, first of all, the Aaron Rodgers aspect of it is something we'll probably discuss a little bit more, but obviously that was part of it. The Broncos are very interested in Aaron Rodgers. They have been since, you know, Adam Schefter dropped that he didn't want to stay in green Bay last year. Uh, but the other part of it is I did like that. He helped uh, Blake Bortles in 2017. Blake Bortles had a pretty strong season uh, calling plays for him. They made it to the two th- to the AFC championship game. Um, and then the Bills, EJ Manuel, once it became clear that he failed, the Bills benched him in favor of Kyle Orton, who had left the Dallas Cowboys by threatening to retire, signed with the Bills on August, I want to say 29th. I'm not looking at it right now, but I know it was really late in August. So after the preseason and they went on at least when Orton was healthy enough to play, I think they went seven and five. So like I look at, and again, I think your point is a good one because it's also, if the Broncos don't get Aaron Rodgers, they're probably going to be drafting a quarterback. And that does make me very nervous. Uh, we'll get to that again. Like there's a lot to unpack with all this. Uh, but I, I, I look at Nathaniel Hackett's time in Buffalo and Jacksonville and without knowing how much influence he had on the acquisition of EJ Manuel and Blake Bortles, I do see an offensive coordinator who helped to try and make the most out of bad quarterbacks. Um, EJ Manuel was a weak quarterback when he was drafted, uh, you know, dating back to when I was looking at him back way back then. Uh, Blake Bortles, I actually liked Blake Bortles, but the things that showed up and became a problem for him, it's, it's hard to imagine anybody was going to fix him. Since Blake Bortles left Jacksonville, he has not exactly done himself any favors. Uh, I think the last he was last seen on the Packers practice squad. Uh, and after looking at him, Aaron Rodgers described that 2017 AFC Championship run as magical. Uh, so like, I, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt for those. Also, he's the Broncos head coach, so I'm probably going to give him the benefit of the doubt. So I think your points are good. Uh, but again, like at the end of the day, I think this, this higher will succeed or fail based on what happens at the quarterback position anyway, which is true of almost every job in the NFL. Do you think this helps the Broncos chances of getting Aaron Rodgers? I guess that would depend on the relationship there. Supposedly, uh, supposedly uh, they're considered more than coach and player by the reports I've seen. They're like essentially considered like friends, uh, which is again, one of the reasons it's not why I liked him as a candidate, but it doesn't hurt. Oh yeah. Especially with where Rogers is at in his career. I mean, he, I feel like with each passing year, he's become more and more of a diva. So he's not going to want the coach who is anything less than friendly with him. I mean, he doesn't want, you know, someone holding his feet to the fire. He wants to kind of come in and run the show. So I think it certainly helps the chances of Aaron Rodgers going to Denver. And if that's the case, it opens up a legitimate Super Bowl window, which is the ultimate goal. So it seems like a calculated risk there. If you get them, great. If you don't, could be a problem. Yeah. And that kind of gets me to the coaching staff, the, the news that's come out, you know, today 
and Tuesday. Uh, so I kind of want to go over some of these names really quick, and then we'll kind of I want to discuss this a little bit. So Justin Oten is now officially Nathaniel Hackett's offensive coordinator. Uh, Hackett is going to be the play caller. Oten is essentially, he spent the last three years coaching tight ends for the Packers. Prior to that, he was an offensive intern and then an assistant offensive line coach with the Falcons. Before that, he was coaching high school. Uh, Clint Kubiak is going to be the Broncos passing game coordinator and quarterback coach. Uh, he is Gary Kubiak's son. Uh, so obviously very well versed in Denver. Uh, he actually was on the Broncos coaching staff prior, uh, but spent the last three seasons coaching for the Vikings. Uh, so obviously George Payton's very familiar with him. Uh, then uh, this is one of the big ones. And this is honestly the higher I, I like the least. Uh, the Broncos are going to replace Mike Munchak as offensive line coach with Butch Berry. Uh, Butch Berry was the 49ers assistant offensive line coach this year. Uh, in 2020, he was a senior analyst with the Packers. Prior to that, he was an assistant offensive line coach at the University of Miami. Then three years he spent as the assistant offensive line coach with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, your Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, and then he was the offensive line coach with Central Michigan University, your Central Michigan University in 2014. You know, that's right. Yep. Um so the the Broncos offensive staff seems to be coming together. Um, I am nervous. I, I would say nervous is the word that best describes it. Um, I think I've, I've come off as very skeptical on Twitter. I don't mean to be such a downer. I know I'm coming off that way. Probably if you're going to make a trade for Aaron Rodgers, as you said, the Super Bowl window is today. Like if you trade for him tonight, the Super Bowl window is tomorrow. Like it's immediately you have to win a Super Bowl or that's like the goal for the next, you know, however long you have him. And you look at the off the offensive staff. It is a lot of people who have very little experience who know Nathaniel Hackett. And that makes me nervous. Uh, I understand that relationships are important in coaching, but I'm, I'm curious how much the Broncos ownership situation is playing into this. And if there's a budget that, Hackett has to kind of go light on experience to get more affordable coaches. I don't know that. I'm just wondering. Um, or how important it is to him to just have guys that he knows and he's comfortable with because all of them have worked with him before. Uh, all of them are familiar with what he wants to do. So, like, that's the positive side of this. Uh, Oten and Barry have both coached in Green Bay. So they are very familiar with the process that they did in Green Bay. Uh so, I mean, again, like I can, I can see it. I can see why they would go that way. I'm just very nervous because again, Kyle Shanahan didn't just hire his friends. Uh, you know, you look at the chiefs, the chiefs are not built with Andy Reid's friends. They're built with really, really qualified coaches. Um, so that's the offensive staff that we know of as of right now. Uh, Dwayne Stukes, uh, nine news. Mike Kliss has reported that he is expected to become the special teams coordinator. He has been a special teams coordinator once again with your Buccaneers uh, in 2011. They actually did finish 14th in DVOA. So that is a positive development there. Um, but otherwise he has been an assistant special teams coach for basically the rest of the time he's been in the NFL. Uh, he was a defensive assistant at one point, but mostly a special teams assistant. Um, he did play for the Colorado crush in the NFL, uh, the AFL at one point. Um, Again, he knows Hackett from when they were with the Buccaneers. Uh, and then the other the other big news is the defensive staff. As of now, officially, 
there is no hires on the defensive staff. Uh, the big one is uh, Ajiro Evero is considered, most reports basically consider him a lock. Once the Los Angeles Rams win the Super Bowl or lose the Super Bowl, once that Super Bowl is over, he will probably join the Broncos staff as the defensive coordinator. Uh, he is currently the secondary coach and passing game coordinator under Raheem Morris. Uh, prior to that, he has worked for Wade Phillips and Brandon Staley as a safeties coach in L.A. He was a defensive quality control coach in Green Bay under Dom Caper. And then he has worked under Vic Fangio as an assistant in San Francisco. The other important note this, with this is he is was the best man in Nathaniel Hackett's wedding. And they have been best friends since the two of them played at UC Davis. That's reported. I've, I've found that in a couple different places. Um, if they do not hire Averro for some reason, and again, I do not expect that to happen. The other defensive coordinator candidate that Mike Kliss has floated is Anthony Weaver. Uh, he was a second round pick by the Ravens in 2002, retired after 2008, became an NFL coach in 2012. He has almost complete. He's been a defensive line coach with the Bills, Browns, Texans, and Ravens. Uh, he actually was a defensive coordinator with the Texans in 2020, but Romeo Cornell took his play calling away. Uh, partway through the season. I talked to Rivers McCown, uh, who covers the Texans. He told me that. So, again, very light on experience in terms of proven people. Um, it honestly, I, I'm going to admit, and again, tell me if I'm crazy, because again, I tend to do this. I convince myself of things. I look at the staff hirings, and it doesn't seem like the kind of staff hirings you would make if you're about to chase a Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, like you said, the word that comes to mind is inexperience, and that's not something you want from your coaching staff. And then you look at the experience they do have, and it's not particularly impressive. I mean, you listed, what, two coaches there who were from the Buccaneers in the past? Let me tell you, the Buccaneers of the teens were not good. So I don't really feel like you want to be lining up to get a bunch of those coaches um, the best thing I will say is uh, Butch Berry, he joined that Buccaneers staff in 2015 to 2018. That was the year they drafted Donovan Smith and Ali Marpet, who's gone on to be one of the best guards in the league. So you have to give him a little bit of credit there, but Donovan Smith did not really do very well in his tenure there. He kind of came on a little bit later in his rookie contract to earn an extension, and he's really playing the best football of his career now. So, I mean, that's a very uninspiring group. Even when he was at Central Michigan University, that was the year after Eric Fisher got drafted number one overall as their offensive tackle. So you can't even give him the credit for that. So it's, it's not really an impressive resume for any of these guys. What I'm nervous about is it seems like there is a strong priority placed on knowing Hackett. And again, I understand that that happens in the NFL at all, you know, across the NFL, everybody at, at some level, it's kind of who, you know, a lot of times there's exceptions, but a lot of it is that. And I, honestly, that's one of the reasons Brian Flores is suing the NFL. Uh, I am just nervous again, because, and we're going to get to this, but if the Broncos do not uh, trade for Aaron Rodgers, finding a quarterback is looking like it's going to be really tough. I, and again, like after Tom Brady retired, you're probably facing the same conundrum. It is not last year's quarterback market. No, it's it's underwhelming. Um, I mean, there's a lot of reasonable talent in 
this draft class. There's no real top end guys who I'm in love with. But I think there's good value to be had if you can get them in the mid to late first round. Uh, I think you guys have two second round picks. So maybe you trade up into the back end of the first round. You can get one of those guys, whoever happens to be there if you don't get Rodgers, you know, whoever wows the coaching staff. But there's going to be a lot of moving this offseason with rumors of Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson. I've heard Derek Carr's name. I've heard Kirk Cousins' name. Baker Mayfield has lost a lot of popularity in Cleveland. Jimmy G, if that's a name that excites you. So I'm, if you're not getting one of those big fish, it, there's a lot of question marks. Yep. It, uh, yeah, I... <laughs> I am all in on Aaron Rodgers at this point, even if even with all the questions about like the McAfee show stuff, the his views on everything. Uh, <laughs> I, I again, we, that's you know, that's a whole nother conversation. I don't want to drag you guys into that. But at the end of the day, he is one of the probably three or four best quarterbacks in football. Uh, I do have concerns about certain parts of the roster. I've actually started to do a deep dive into every position group of where it is. Um, I do not think the Broncos are as close to a Super Bowl as people want to believe. Once Aaron Rodgers is here, they still have to get a lot of things right. Uh, the edge group in particular is very concerning. They have Bradley Chubb and then a lot of questions. I like Jonathan Cooper, um, but at the end of the day, he is probably a role player. Uh, the rest of the pass rush is very underwhelming. Draymond Jones is very good. Shelby Harris, if he can get healthy after last year, could be very good in a new scheme. We don't even know the scheme yet, though, so like it's it's hard to say for sure. Um, well, I will say this about the coaching staff, as underwhelming as it looks. It seems like they do have a little bit of an identity shaping up. Yeah. Because a lot of it, it kind of dates back to that Mike Shanahan tree. It does. It does. On offense, it is looking like... The Broncos are going to move towards essentially the offense that we saw with the Packers the last three years. Um, ver like, like slash, like a version of the McVay Shanahan offense. So I I'm comfortable with that. I think that that is what they're trying to do uh, on defense. Averro, if he is the coordinator and I'm going to kind of move forward, assuming that he is just because everything is kind of pointing to it. Averro has worked under three different systems is what makes it kind of tough to project what's going to happen on defense. Uh, he has worked under Fig Fangio at one point. He has worked under Wade Phillips. He's worked under Brandon Staley and he's worked under Raheem Morris. So four. Uh, but the big thing is Raheem Morris is kind of like continuing the Brandon Staley system with wrinkles thrown in. So I think that the Broncos are going to try and maintain a version of the defense that they had last year but they're going to be doing it with a core, a play caller who's never called plays before. And that's what makes me nervous about that part of it, because the Broncos defense has been the best part of their team for since Peyton Manning retired. Uh, and the thing is last year really revealed a lot of the cracks in that system. Uh, just because Vic Fangio was the pass rush by, by dialing up games and stunts and blitzes. That's how the Broncos were creating pressure last year. The run defense fell off really, really hard after Alexander Johnson and Josie Jewell got hurt. Uh, the cornerback group is very good. It should be very good going forward as long as no one gets hurt. Um, there's only three people on the roster right now, though. Uh, there's Patrick Sertan, who is looking like he's going to be a pro bowler uh, very soon. Uh, there's Ronald Darby, who he's okay. Uh, I'm not... 
I'm not nearly as high on Ronald Darby as I feel like I should be considering he was like George Payton's big splash for agent signing last year. Uh, he had no picks. He has been healthy for a complete season once in his career. Uh, so again, like, I think he's okay. I think he's a Michael Ojumudia got hurt early. And in the two games he played at the very end of the year, he looked okay. Uh, but they're going to have to find a nickel. Michael Ojemudi is a boundary corner. Ronald Darby plays boundary. Sertan is a boundary corner. They have to find a nickel. Um, maybe they move Jamar Johnson up. Uh, but, you know, again, there's a lot of questions on defense. It's kind of like my main point with this. Like, until the coaching staff comes in place, until we at least see what they're going to do in free agency, there's more questions than answers right now on defense. Uh, on offense, we kind of know the direction they're moving. Um, and honestly, they have a lot of the pieces in place. I think they have to find a right tackle. Um, I'm very curious to see what they do with the interior offensive line now that they're moving to a pure zone blocking scheme, just because Dalton Reisner, Natane Mute, and Quinn Miners are all very good in gap, and they're moving away from that. Um, Lloyd Cushenberry is still average at best at center. Uh, they might end up using Graham Glasgow to push him. Uh, he has played center before with the Lions. Um, I think the tight end group should be better in the new offense. I also think the wide receiver group is kind of a sleeping giant in terms of in the new system. Uh, I've, I've started to look at Nathaniel Hackett's offense, Matt LaFleur's offense with the Packers. They do a very good job of creating easy looks for the receivers. They manufacture touches. They, that should be a big upgrade from what Pat Shermer was doing, but you still need a quarterback. Um, at the end of the day, uh, if you're, th if you're throwing Drew Locke out there, I'm not expecting a lot. And I wouldn't expect them to be throwing Drew Locke out there at this no. point. I mean, this is what you're three, four. four. So if you were going to develop them, you would have been developed by now. That ship has sailed. So if you guys get Aaron Rodgers or say Russell Wilson, that does have the potential to be a pretty good offense. You know, I remember watching those Mike Shanahan teams where you could just plug any running back in and they'd run for a thousand yards and y'all don't just have any running back. Javante Williams is a really good player. So that running game has a chance to be dynamic if they can figure out the offensive line. The receivers, I think there's a lot of depth and talent there. It's just got to find that trigger man. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of where I'm landing on the Broncos specifically as of right now. Uh, I think it's kind of a, we'll see. Um, I'm trying, like, I, I feel like I have been very dour about this in the last couple of days, just because I am really salty about pushing Mike Munchak out. He coached outside zone before this. He has family in Denver. The, 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 I don't really understand why you'd push him out unless you're just convinced that he has been underwhelming. And I guess you could believe that. Uh, but Brandon Thorne and a lot of other people that I respect in terms of offensive line performance still consider Mike Munchak one of the best offensive line coaches in football. Mm -hmm. Um, I expect him to land on his feet very, very quickly. Um, so I just, I, I am skeptical. I'm hoping that, you know, that everything kind of comes together and works out, but that's, that's kind of where I'm at right now. Uh, I would love to hear what you guys think on this. Um, but let's, let's, let's kind of move to the Super Bowl just because that's more fun. Uh, Rams Bengals, who you got? I've got the Rams. I think with their star players, cause I feel like they're a team that's built on star players and then they've got a bunch of average players behind them. But their stars are so incredibly good. Aaron Donald, Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup, 
Jalen Ramsey. That's a group of Hall of Famers right there. And I don't know about you, but how many times was Joe Burrow sacked this year? Do you feel like that's going to go well for him going against Aaron Donald and Von Miller? No, I scouted the Bengals when the Broncos were playing them. And I've obviously paid quite like pretty close attention throughout the playoffs just because it's the only, you know, the only games in town. Uh, The right side of the Bengals offensive line is one of the worst groups in football. Honestly, the fact that they were able to win all the way up to the Super Bowl with that offensive line is pretty amazing. Uh, Hakeem Adeniji, I liked him coming out, but he is not ready. And he's been playing a lot. He's been very bad at right guard. Isaiah Prince, I did not like coming out, and he has been every bit as bad as I expected him to be. Uh, Von Miller, if they if they put, and honestly, here's the thing with the Rams, the Rams also have Leonard Floyd. Uh, it's not like you know, it's not just Von Miller and Aaron Donald. So what they can do is they can they can put Von Miller against Jonah Williams if they want, and then Leonard Floyd's going to be a huge matchup issue for Isaiah Prince on the other side, or they can just put Von Miller over Isaiah Prince and he's just going to eat him alive. And Akeem yeah, Adeniji has good no for the Rams. Yeah, Akeem Adeniji has no chance against Aaron Donald. No one does. Aaron Donald is a freak. He's the best defensive tackle I've ever seen. Same. And I grew up watching Prime Warren Sapp. And I watched a lot of JJ Watt when JJ Watt mm-hmm. was at his top. Yeah, Aaron Donald's the best I've seen. Yeah, he's he's incredible. Just absolutely incredible. I can't believe how he just tears up triple teams. He's a monster. And then the other thing about this too, that I'm, I'm, I'm expecting the Rams to win as well. The Bengals offensive line is bad enough that they're going to have trouble running the ball, which means that the Rams are going to be able to stay in their bread and butter defensive system, which is play light boxes, sit over the top with two high shells, disguise stuff, pre-snap, and then, you know, throw, throw different wrenches at Joe Burrow. Uh, if you look at the numbers, Joe Burrow has actually had some issue against two high defenses all year. The way to punish teams for doing that is running the ball, and they don't have the way to do that. Uh, the other problem that the Rams are going to run into, or the Bengals are going to run into, sorry, is uh, they don't really have a system. And like everybody, yes, Zach Taylor comes from the McVay tree, but if you look at the way that they they dial things up, they don't have the restraint plays and the counters off of their bread and butter plays that they can kind of go to reliably like a Kyle Shanahan or like a McVay can. They just throw a bunch of shit at the wall and hope it sticks. And Joe Burrow is good enough that it works. Um, but I expect them. They're going to run a lot of empty in the middle of the field because they're going to have to, to try and get the ball out quick. Uh, Jalen Ramsey is going to be able to give them problems with that because he'll move around. Uh, I just, it just looks like a really bad matchup basically across the board for the Bengals. Um, I mean, you know, it'd be, it'd be cool to see them pull it out. I'm not rooting against the Bengals. I am rooting for the Rams just because Von Miller, but I'm not like, like the, the nice thing about the Bengals making it instead of the chiefs for me, if the chiefs made it, I am salty as, as F if the chiefs win, <laughs> if the Bengals win, I'm happy for them. The bank, you know, the Bengals haven't made it to the super bowl since the eighties. Like if they win a super bowl, that's great. I just don't think they're going to. Honestly, I want them to. They're fun. I love this little baby Bengals team because no one expected them to be there. I certainly didn't. Joe Burrow is just the coolest cat who has come out of the draft in years. He's just everything he does. It just radiates cool. Jamar Chase has way surpassed my expectations. They throw the ball all over the field. 
They're just likable. Yeah. And even with Matthew Stafford on the other side, who I'm also rooting for, I watched him suffer here for 12 years in Detroit, finally getting his due. Even against Stafford, I really like this Bengals team and I want them to win, but I think they're toast. I think it's going to be a blowout. I think it's going to get ugly. I pray for Joe Burrow. That's all I'm going to say. The other cool, that cool, but the other part of this too is how devastating will it be for the Rams if they come up short? Just because Von Miller, the Bronco, like one of the aspects of the Von Miller trade that was huge for the Rams, the Broncos paid his salary. Like George Payton essentially paid Von Miller to go chase the Super Bowl with the Rams. Uh, he's a free agent after this year. They're going to have to pay him. Um, if they want to keep him. And I know Von Miller wants to stick around, but Von Miller's playing well enough. He's going to make at least 14 million. I would be very surprised if he's not averaging something like that on his new deal. Rams don't really have it. They're going to have to sacrifice depth to do that. And they've actually been really fortunate to not suffer any major injuries outside of Robert Woods. That doesn't happen every year. Like the Bucks just went through this. You guys were remarkably healthy last year. You guys hit the playoffs this time and you guys were down to Mike Evans and then backups at receiver. And then your cornerback core for most of the year was all banged up. So like, I, I know that it's and honestly, it's the same thing with the Bengals in a way, like because the Bengals are so young, it feels easy to say, Oh, well they'll be back. You don't know that in football just because of the way injuries happen. Yeah. Especially when you look at the landscape of the AFC with the quarterbacks who are out there, Josh Allen looks like, Prime Cam Newton, what Cam Newton was supposed to be for his entire career. Patrick Mahomes is already Super Bowl champion MVP. If Deshaun Watson gets his legal situation worked out, I mean, he could still be in the picture. If Aaron Rodgers comes to town, I mean, the future is really bright for the AFC quarterback horizon. And I even mentioned guys like Lamar Jackson, who have won an MVP, and Justin Herbert, who looks like he very well could someday wear an MVP. It's a really strong group of quarterbacks out there. So I wouldn't assume anything for anyone getting back to the AFC because it's going to be a gauntlet. Yeah. And the other thing is the keeping Zach Taylor, and there's no way that they're not at this point because the Bengals hadn't won a playoff game in 30, 31 years. And then, you know, they've now gone all the way to the Super Bowl. Zach Taylor is basically going to be able to coach until the bottom falls out. But you look at some of the other top coaches in the AFC, and I would put Zach Taylor underneath, you know, Bill Belichick, uh, John Harbaugh, uh, Mike Tomlin. If they find a quarterback, they're probably right back in the mix. So it's it'd be cool for the Bengals to win a Super Bowl just because I don't know if they're going to make it again. Uh, honestly, it's the same for the Rams in that way, but. I just think the NFC side of it, it's going to be easier to get out of the NFC than it is out of the AFC going forward. Yeah, I don't want to say the Bengals are fluky, but they definitely feel like the team of destiny down 21-3 to Patrick Mahomes. You think they're dead in the water. And somehow Patrick Mahomes does everything in his power to choke that game away. And it feels like it's now, I won't say never, but now. You got to capitalize. Yeah. Yep. And so, I'd say it's a little bit the same for the Rams just because I think their window is so small. It's really just this year and next year, and then Stafford's contract runs out, and who knows where they go from there. But 
I think they could very well be back in this position next year because I think the NFC is starting to tilt a little bit because you look at the NFC South, who's the team to beat that down there? Probably still the Bucks, but you don't know who the quarterback's going to be. You look at the NFC East, Dallas did not look like they were for real. The NFC North, Aaron Rodgers could be leaving. Who's the team to beat in the North? So Bears. Dustin Fields. Maybe the Bears. (laughs) Justin Fields, I think, is really good. We'll see. I like their new coach. They got Eberflus, right? Yeah. Yeah, I like him. Uh, We'll see if they can develop Justin Fields there. And he's a defensive guy, so we'll see how that shapes up. But it really feels like this is the window the Rams have to capitalize on because it feels like it's theirs for the taking this year and potentially next year. Well, and and I'm glad you mentioned that too because the other thing with the Rams is Aaron Donald is, I want to say, 30. 30. Uh, Von Miller is 32. Uh, Matthew Stafford is over 30. Like They they do have a smaller window here. Um, And I would say from the Broncos' perspective, from a Broncos fan's perspective, Matthew Stafford is kind of showing exactly why you shouldn't be afraid to make that trade for Aaron Rodgers, even if it is a short window. Because if you, like, as a fan, these are the moments you root for. Like, you root to make it to the Super Bowl. If you get one Super Bowl, like, hell yeah, it's been a great ride. You, yeah, I was going to say, you can speak to that too with Tom Brady. Yeah, let me tell you, it was worth it. As someone who was really skeptical about bringing in a 42-year-old Tom Brady... It's definitely worth it. Even this year, you know, losing to the Rams was a bummer. But you know what's even more of a bummer? Going 5-11 and 11 every year. Yeah, I feel that. That's been six years now. Yeah, it's rough. <laughs> it's been not there, fun. <laughs> and that's, that's the other part of it. And again, like not to not to sidetrack us with Aaron Rodgers stuff, but but that's I've, I've seen this argument a lot in different iterations of this argument is like, oh, well, we should the Broncos shouldn't trade for Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson because – after they're done, where are the Broncos going to be? And I keep thinking to myself, exactly where they are right now. And it's kind of one of those things yeah. where it's like, you know what? You went on this really, really cool adventure with you know all your friends. You guys went to New York. You raged for three days. You got home and you're like, fuck, now I'm broke. But guess what? You got to go to New York. That was fun. Like, it's just like you don't you don't pass that kind of stuff up just because, well, what happens in three days? And that's kind of how this is. Um, am I am I worried that if the Broncos trade for Aaron Rodgers, it won't pan out? Yes. Um, I was chewing my nails the entire time the Broncos were in the playoffs with Peyton Manning at the end because I thought if they do not win a Super Bowl this year, this whole four years, they didn't get a Super Bowl out of it. They lost one. But I wouldn't trade those four years for anything. That was a right, lot of fun. You can't be afraid of failure there. No. So that's where I'm at with that part of it. But kind of kind of getting us to the other the other thing I wanted to talk about, the other big news going on right now, and it's going to continue going on for the rest of this week. The Senior Bowl and then the Shrine Bowl, the Shrine Bowl plays today. You guys are listening on Thursday, Uh, but the Senior Bowl will go on all week. They play, I want to say, on Sunday. Um, Is there anybody you're looking at in these two games? Um, a couple in the Shrine Bowl. Uh, obviously, it's a lower kind of prestige bowl, so they have the lower prestige prospects. But one guy I really like as kind of a developmental safety is uh, Bubba Bolden from Miami. 
he reminds me a lot of Jordan Whitehead as a physical, tough box defender who, yeah, you don't really love over the top, but he's someone who can go there, you know, in certain looks and play some some nickel linebacker, dime linebacker, and just come forward and hit people, give you a little bit of that grit and toughness you want in your defense. So he's kind of the guy I like at the Shrine Bowl. And there's a lot of guys I like at the quarter at the uh at the senior bowl, particularly the quarterbacks, which is a big deal for me as of late, you know, yeah. this, I became very interested in quarterbacks recently. Yeah. You know, funny how that all happened. <laughs> it's amazing how your perspective changes when you go from Tom Brady to Kyle Trask. I mean, he was a second round quarterback, right? Like he's, he's got it all. Don't you start with me, Joe. I can't do this right now. Uh, So I'm interested in hearing what your thoughts are on the quarterbacks in the senior bowl, just because listeners will listeners will know this already, but I hate this quarterback class. Uh, I, one of the reasons I want the Broncos to trade for Aaron Rodgers and kind of punt on drafting a quarterback for a couple years is because hopefully by then the quarterback class is better than this one. Um, It just doesn't inspire me. Uh, but I know again, you are somebody who likes Sam Howell. Uh, so I would love to hear your sales pitch. Like, why should I give Sam Howell another chance? Okay. So where have we left off with Sam Howell? Were you watching his film from last year? Have you seen a lot of them this year? I have seen, I've watched all of his 2020 film because I watched Javante Williams. So I watched it at length. Um, I came away from his 2020 film saying this is a poor man's Baker Mayfield. If he is the best quarterback in this class, and and this was, you know, before this year, I said, if he's the best quarterback in this class, this class is complete fucking garbage. Um, and then I have watched bits and pieces, what I've been able to gather so far of his 2021 tape. I know that the offense around him is less talented. He lost four NFL players. I'm underwhelmed. I just, I, I, I see the moments. I see that he, he is accurate in spots. And I do like that. He gets jittery under pressure. He runs too much. He's a first read quarterback. Again, most quarterbacks are in college. So like, that's not really a fair critique, but I just, I still see a lot of the same issues that I was worried about. The way he handles pressure is honestly the biggest thing for me. I just, I'm not a huge fan of it. I know his offensive line at UNC was really bad. I doesn't really excuse the way he reacts to it though. Um, I just don't like that. And I think that that's not going to necessarily improve. Joe, we need to get you some of this 2021 tape because I was really impressed with Sam Howell's growth this year, particularly in the way he takes care of the football. Last year, I thought he was reckless. I thought there were times he was just chucking it up and coming into this year. I think he was my, QB four or QB five. I was not super impressed with him. And sometimes I feel like I'm always that guy who has to go against the grain because coming into this year, everyone's like, Oh, Sam Howell, he's so good. And I'm that lonely dude on Twitter. who's like, Sam Howell stinks. What are you people talking about? And now I feel like the script has flipped and everyone's like, Sam Howell, he was so overrated. Am I right? And I'm like, actually he's the best quarterback in this class. So let's tighten up here. But I will agree with you. I think he is still a little too jittery sometimes in the pocket 
some of that because his offensive line is so bad. It's terrible. And some of it is by design. He is, in terms of quarterbacks, he's kind of built like a house. Mm-hmm. And he's not Cam Newton or Josh Allen out there, make no mistake, but he's someone who linebackers will bounce off of. He's thickly built. And he's a guy I watch, and I see a lot of Steve McNair. He's a guy who is accurate. He will throw it out there. He will air it out. He's great down the field. He can run. He's got that thick build. He's tough. And he, I think he just needs to kind of fine-tune a few things, particularly with his pocket presence. And see, I, because again, from what I've seen of this year, that's the part that continues to kind of concern me because poise is one of those things that doesn't necessarily improve a lot over time. I do think that he is of the quarterback prospects. I do think that he is a pretty clean projection into the offense that the Broncos look like they're going to run. Uh, So I would not be surprised if he is on their radar. Um, I am just not super optimistic about him long-term. I think if you draft him, he's one of those guys that best case scenario, I think he's a rookie quarterback, a rookie contract quarterback. I think, I think you need to watch some more film from this year. Cause I think he made a lot of improvements kind of on, I don't want to say he's going to be Justin Herbert, but I think he's kind of on that Justin Herbert trajectory where he's kind of lost some of the shine on the apple, but I think he's made quiet growth in terms of maturity as a football player. And he's got that calm, mellow demeanor about him where I think he is going to be able to keep his head in those pressure situations. And I think it's just a matter of growing and experience. And I think we saw some of that progression this year. So that gives me a lot of optimism, just seeing that growth from year to year, which is why he's jumped a guy like Malik Willis this year for me, who I had as my QB2 coming into the year. And he didn't really make the same progressions that I was hoping he would. So he's kind of dropped back a little bit for me, even though I think he has the best athletic gifts, the best arm, you know, all that kind of thing, the highest upside in this class. And see, that's why I would like Malik Willis more than a Sam Howell, just because, and again, this is coming from the perspective of, I think all the quarterback prospects in this class are bad, but if you're going to take a quarterback prospect in a bad class, swing on the upside and hope to God that you got the right coaches in place to like squeeze it out of them just because maybe he puts it together. Uh, I am not optimistic about that. Uh, but again, that's kind of just like my approach. I would also say that I am very strongly in the camp that I do not think the Broncos should draft a quarterback at nine. Uh, I do think that you take the best player available at nine. That is not a quarterback. And then if you take a quarterback, you either trade up into the back of the first round to get that fifth year option, or you just let somebody fall to you in the second round. The Broncos second, first second round pick, I think is pretty early. Uh, you can afford to wait. There's enough quarterbacks in this class that somebody is probably going to fall there. Yeah. And it might be a guy like Malik Willis. Willis, who is more talent than polish at this point. He could be a bet worth taking early second round. Yeah. It could be a guy like Desmond Ritter, who I know a lot of guys over at the draft network are high on. I'm not as high on him. He kind of gives me a little bit of, um, Oh, what was that terrible quarterback y'all drafted a few years ago? Oh, Paxton Lynch. Paxton Lynch. He gives me a little bit of Paxton Lynch That's vibe. That's interesting. I think he's better than Paxton Lynch. I don't think, but he's kind of a similar mold to me. Okay. No, that's But fair. I think he's someone you can get in the second round. I, 
of the quarterbacks in this class, I think Desmond Ritter is the guy that I am highest on. And again, this is coming at it like, I think that if you draft him, it will not be an abject disaster. That's where I'm at with it. <laughs> uh, but I, I like that he's a four-year starter. Uh, I like that he helped take Cincinnati pretty far. Um, you can see his growth in terms of ball placement, accuracy, anticipation, stuff like that. He still has a long way to go in all those way, all those areas. He is still kind of a roller coaster ride in terms of down to down consistency, which I do not like at all. Uh, but he has the athletic tools. Like he doesn't have the strongest arm in this class, but he has a, a much stronger arm than Kenny Pickett. Um, he is not anywhere near as fast as Malik Willis, but he is mobile. Um, he is, you know, I, I just he's kind of like the just right prospect in terms of he's kind of in the middle ground, but meets the bars across the board in most areas. If you can convince yourself that the down to down consistency will improve. I am not of the mind that it will necessarily improve enough, but if you're going to take a quarterback in this class, he seems like the best bet. Um, but yeah, if he falls the second, I'd be okay. I, if they take him at nine, I'm going to be sick. Yeah. I don't love any of the quarterbacks at nine. And I've seen Kenny Pickett kind of projected in that late 10 kind of early teens range. I've seen Corral in the late teens. Hopefully Sam Howell goes at 27 to the Bucks. Um, but I think, like you said, best player available early. Y'all got plenty of needs to fill. And Ritter seems like a guy you can win with. I've seen some Ryan Tannehill comparisons. I think that's kind of the, the track you'd be looking at a guy – if the situation is good, you can win with him, but you're not going to win because of him. I'm really glad you brought that up because that is honestly the big distinction that I, so draft season, I, I feel like I bang my head against the wall with this every year. Now, everybody gets really caught up on, Oh, that's a first round quarterback or, Oh, that's a first round linebacker. Oh, that's, you know, my thing is, where's the guy going to be in two years, two years, three years. Cause by then you need to kind of have an idea of what he is. And, at the end of the day, when I evaluate players, I evaluate them on a bunch of scale, like a bunch of different traits, but like it boils down to, is this a guy you can win with? Is this a guy you win in spite of? Is this a guy you can't win with? Or is this a guy you win because of? And I don't think any quarterback in this class will ever be a guy you win because of. I think best thing you're hoping for is a guy you can win with. And that to me is why I do not like this class anywhere near as much as I did last year. I thought last year, all four of the quarterbacks taken at the top were guys that you could eventually win because of granted Zach Wilson looks like a disaster so far. And honestly, again, all of them have had pretty big struggles, but I still see enough flashes that I think that in the right situation, all of them could still develop. I just don't see that with this class. Um, I do think Carson strong has a lot of tools um, if you can get over the fact that he has the same question that we beat the hell out of because of Mac Jones, um, outside of structure, Carson strong struggles. And I think it's really interesting comparing it to last year's class because you had those two elite prospects for me with yep. Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence. And then you had two really high upside guys who needed some development in Trey Lance and, Zach Wilson. Sorry, I totally spaced on his name for a second. Uh, and then you had a guy you could win with, with Mac Jones. In a good situation like the Patriots, he can manage things. He can put you in a position. He's not going to kill you. 
And I think we have more Mac Jones in this class, guys like Kenny Pickett, guys like Matt Corral. You can win with them. And I don't know where I land on Strong yet. I think he has I think he has a knee issue, which is yes. as big a concern to me as anything. Yes. So we'll wait till the med checks come back at the combine before I really feel comfortable. I think he's better than a Mac Jones in terms of a guy you win because of. And then I think Willis is a guy kind of in that same kind of bucket as Trey Lance, Zach Wilson. He can become a guy you win because of. He can become that star player. He's not there yet. And I don't think it's as clear a path to get there as, say, Josh Allen was. But he can get there in the right situation. I want to talk a little bit about Kenny Pickett just because that is the name that is circulating around Broncos country quite a bit or has been for a couple days now. I see Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, and I don't do player comparisons. Like I, I, I really try not to, uh, but he is one of the players that I have watched quite a bit of. And I, I see the same skill set that Broncos country hated with Kenny or with Teddy Bridgewater. And I get it because I did not hate Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, I thought he was okay. Um, he's not going to, you know, you're not going to win because of him but he will keep the offense on track. If you have enough help around him in the right play caller, I think that's what Kenny Pickett is, uh, except you would have him on a rookie contract. Um, arm strength. Isn't great. The hand size it's way overblown, but it's also is a thing. The fact that he didn't measure it is notable. Uh, the last reported hand size for him. I want to say it was eight inches and eight and a quarter inches, which is significantly lower than what the NFL considers its baseline for quarterbacks. Uh, when I did the scouting Academy with Dan Hatman, who was an NFL scout once, uh, the baseline for a quarterback, the, the minimum you want a quarterback's hands to be is nine and his is eight and a quarter. So like it's, it is notable. He wears gloves. Um, I know Bailey Zappi is also kind of getting some buzz. Arm strength is also a big thing with him. And again, arm strength is a little bit overblown until it's not because that's how you squeeze wind, squeeze the ball into tight windows um, it's not necessarily about how far you throw a ball, but it is your velocity can open things up around the end zone or in the red zone. It can open things up in, in third downs when they're playing man coverage. Without that, we see what we saw with Teddy Bridgewater. You have to manufacture open looks. So it may, it shrinks your margin for error. Yeah, actually, I just got done writing about that very thing on Kyle Trask and if he is the answer for the Bucks. You know, he can loft the ball 40 yards downfield, but he's got a real noodle of an arm when it yeah, comes to velocity. And if you can't squeeze it in those tight windows between two, three defenders like a Matthew Stafford or a Josh Allen can, life is a lot more difficult. You need to be really, really good at everything else to make up for it. And I don't think Pickett is that good. I think he's good. Don't get me wrong. I think he's solid. Um, but he's sometimes inconsistent with his accuracy. And the hand size is a little bit of a concern. Not so much in terms of his consistency, but in terms of fumbling the ball. And, you know, I think Teddy Bridgewater had that concern. Jared Goff had that concern. And Pickett is a guy who will take off and run. So you really question ball security when he's on the move because he's not going to throw it a lot on the move because he doesn't have a great arm. But the longer the ball's in his hand, that tiny hand more likely he is to fumble it. So beyond the quarterbacks, 
Is there anybody else in this class that really, or not in the class, but in the senior bowl and the shrine bowl that really is jumping out at you? The one name I want to bring up uh, is Jermaine Johnson. Uh, he is a edge out of Florida state. He actually came out of last chance. You uh, one of those, uh, the Netflix series. I was intrigued by him before uh, based on what I had seen. I still need to go over his tape at length, but like from what I have seen of his tape, I did like him going into this and through two days, Again, recording Wednesday through two days. Everybody is basically saying he is the best player at the senior bowl. Yeah, I saw a rep the other day where he was going against Darian Kennard, the offensive tackle out of Kentucky. And Kennard's a big dude. I think he's like six, seven, three fifty kind of build. He just ran him right over and he's given up almost a hundred pounds on him. Yep. So he's a real battering ram of an athlete. And I mean that in the best possible way. The thing that concerns me with Johnson is I don't think he's got a lot of bend. I think he's a kind of a bull rush, kind of beat you inside kind of guy, as opposed to a go around the outside edge and kind of pressure the quarterback that way. So I think he's really, really good at what he does. And I think he is looking really good down at the senior bowl from what I saw, but I think he is limited to certain things that you want him to do on the field. Yeah, and that bend is important. And that's one of those things that I'm going to be looking for when I go back over his tape. Uh, That is one of the reasons why I do have David Ajabo probably higher than a lot of people are going to. I would take David Ajabo at nine without hesitation. I would take David Ajabo over every single quarterback in this class. I love him. I love what he could be. I think he's got great tools. I don't all the tools. Yeah, and... I don't think he knows how to utilize them all great yet, but you know, it's kind of that risk risk reward thing. I don't think he's a great run defender. So I think think he's an okay run defender. I, it is notable to me that Michigan took him off the field against 21 and 22 personnel and 12 personnel, like heavier personnel teams. He didn't play. That is a concern. Uh, So I do, I do see where you're coming from there. But when he when he's had to meet Polars, I thought he did an okay job of it. He met him with the right side at his uh, shoulder. Um, I do think he's a little bit light in terms of like his play strength. He's probably closer to like adequate or solid than good, and that is a concern. Uh, but if you're going to run the kind of system that it looks like the Broncos are going to run, I am totally cool with it. If they're going to continue to run this Fangio too high system where you're going to use your edge rushers in space a little bit. I think he has the fluidity in his hips to be able to drop in coverage. He definitely has the bend. Uh, maybe not an elite bend like Von Miller, but it's very good. Uh, and his burst. Like, I think his burst is good. His hands are very quick. And he has, it, it, you mentioned his, uh, he doesn't have all the, he hasn't put it all together yet. Only played football as a starter at Michigan one year. I know everybody's talked about this, but I like that he has been toying around with a lot of different moves. Uh, he has the spin. He showed the spin. He likes the swim move. He will long arm a little bit. Um, I like, I like that he has those kind of starting out. And the hope is obviously that he, as he gets to the league and he kind of makes this his full-time profession, he polishes it up and he becomes a superstar. Yeah. And I don't think he played football very long before he got to Michigan. He's relatively new to the game, which explains why he's a little raw in terms of putting it all together. So you can see where there's definitely a pathway to him getting there, you know, just because experience matters. Yeah. And the more experience he gets, the better he'll be. And, you know, he's definitely the athlete in terms of a pass rusher you want. 
he's got all the ability, he got all the tools, just looking to wrap them up, put them in the toolbox. Have you watched any of the, the tackles in this uh, class? Specifically the guys that are at the senior bowl. If you watched any of them, I've watched some of um, my central Michigan guy, Renard. Uh, Raymond. Raymond. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I think he is, he rated out really well as a run defender and he's a converted tight end. He moves really well. I don't think he's a guy I would take in round one at this point. And that goes also for the guy out of Northern Illinois. Oh yeah. I saw uh, Trevor Penning. Trevor Penning. Yep. I saw him he, get, he got just, just bull rushed in the next week on a rep from this. I saw, I don't even remember who he was playing against. You know, a bull rush surprises me because he's a big, thickly built dude. Yes. I mean, strength is kind of his game. But I do think he, you know, just the transition from that lower level of competition now to the Senior Bowl, then to the NFL. He's not a guy I draft on round one, probably round two, because I think, you know, a year or two of seasoning and development, he could be a really good starter. I, I see potential with both of them, but I'm not in love with either of them at this point. Uh. I have not watched the tackles much yet just because again, the way way we've been splitting it up, uh, AJ Shelty has been watching the tackles more than I have. I've been trying to watch a lot of the edge rushers, uh, but the Broncos obviously need a right tackle. They, they don't have any right now. They actually only have one tackle under contract right now. Uh, not counting future, you know, future contract guys, because you have no idea what they're going to do. Uh, so it's, it's something I need to get my eyes on. Um, the other player that I wanted to mention just because I have watched him at length. Um, he is actually not at the senior bowl. So like this, I'm kind of cheating. Uh, where do you land on Jordan Davis? Oh, I like Jordan Davis a lot. Yeah. I am concerned about his pass rush ability. Same. And the amount of snaps he's taking on the field, but when he's on the field doing what he does, he's dominating. Yep. I, I agree. I worry about the value. Uh, which is, it's always, you know, it's easy to say about like, I feel like we're having like, this will end up being the same discussion we had with Derek Brown. Uh, just because Derek Brown. And I, I think honestly, Derek Brown was a better pass rusher than he was, but, but Jordan Davis is just a monstrous run defender. Uh, he can work through a blocker into the backfield and disrupt the track before the running back can get to the hole. Uh, and I think that that is, that's really, really good. Um, that has value obviously in the league. I think, I think with the way teams are starting to try and attack these two high defenses by running the ball, we might see a little bit more of like teams veering back towards like the Jordan Davises because you can just plant him right in the middle and he will account for those two gaps by himself. But on passing downs, I, I don't know if he has much value at all. Uh, he does not generate. He's a, he's a pocket pusher. He's not somebody who's going to get into the backfield. Let me give you a name that's at the senior bowl who I think could give you 80, 85% of what Jordan Davis does in terms of run defense. He could give you more as a pass rusher and he could go around or two later. And that's Travis Jones. Yep. Out of yep. I, I watched one game of his so far and I'm, I'm definitely very intrigued. I, you know, I watched him. A couple of times. I've watched full UConn games just to watch him. He's so easy to pick out on the line of scrimmage because yeah. he's just built differently. And the more I watch him, the more I see a young Linval Joseph 
Oh, nice. Dude is powerful. Dude is he's skilled with his hands. He can get in the backfield. He can get off blocks. I think he's going to be a really good player. Yeah, he's somebody I, I need to get more to Conte, but he's definitely somebody on my radar. Um, and then one other player I wanted to mention just because Colorado connection. And I do think that, so I think tight end is kind of a sneaky need for the Broncos. So I have kind of tried to keep an eye on tight ends just because if the Broncos do not plan to retain Noah Fant on his next contract, and it's very possible, this is probably the draft class you want to take a tight end in because tight ends tend to take two ish years to really hit the ground and like develop. Um, Trey McBride is probably going to go too high for the Broncos to take him, but he is somebody that is definitely intriguing just because he's kind of like a poor man's Kyle Pitts in certain terms of mismatch weapon. I haven't got to watch Trey McBride at all yet. I've heard from a lot of people I respect that he's the best tight end in this class. Yeah. But I also haven't really seen him valued as a first round player. No. Other than, so, uh, other than Todd McShay. Well, Todd McShay, I love the old draft dudes, you know, Mel Kuyper. We grew up with them. I love watching them do their thing. When it comes to the evaluation and the content they create, it's just lacking. I'm sorry. Todd McShay, Mel Kuyper, if you ever listen to this, we love you. But there are so many better evaluators out there this day and age. I'm actually really excited for uh, Jordan Reed to work with ESPN because I think he's really phenomenal. Uh, Jordan Reed is such a good dude. He's so easy to talk to, mm -hmm. you know, just have conversations with, you know, low, lower level guys like me, you know, talk to him about football. He's so down to earth and accessible. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued by Trey McBride just because I want to see where he lands. I hope he lands with the team that will use him. Right. I do think that if the Broncos are taking a tight end this year, knowing what I know about the system that they're about to put in on offense, what they're actually looking for is not a Trey McBride. It's actually a Y tight end. So think blocking tight ends. Uh, they don't have a Mercedes Lewis as of now. Um, Albert O is probably the closest. Um, I would like for them to try and re-sign Eric Saubert for that role, just because I think Eric Saubert could do it. Uh, but if they don't, maybe Sean Beyer, he's an undrafted free agent from last year who is on a futures deal. Maybe. Uh, cause you don't necessarily have to draft a blocking tight end high. Um, but I do think if you're not going to keep Noah fan, it would make sense to draft a guy who has strengths as a blocker, but who also can offer more as a receiver than Sean Byer or Eric Sobert do. I think one name I'm interested in is the tight end out of Ohio state. Jeremy yeah. Rucker. Yep. He jumps off as someone who's really talented. I've liked watching him when I've seen him. He's just really buried on that Ohio state offense. They've got four or five first round receivers on that team. And you know, it's just hard to get looks as a tight end in that offense. But I think in terms of his talent, I think he's got the talent. He's a guy I have on my radar, probably in the third round. I think he could project as a real steal in this class. Is there any other players that we need to talk about before? I, Cause I know I'm keeping you. Let me give you two before we wrap it up. One at the Senior Bowl, one not, but I think he's one that should be on the Broncos' radar at nine. Okay. Um, the one at the Senior Bowl is Roger McCreary. Okay. He is one of my favorite corners in this class. I think he belongs in that conversation with Derek Stingley and Andrew Booth. He's a really, really good player. 
The only problem is he measured in really short armed at the senior bowl. Mm. So he could be a guy who kind of transitions to the nickel. And I know you said that's something that could be on Broncos radar. Definitely is. And I've seen him projected mid to late first round. And I think with these measurements, he's going to slide a little bit. So that first pick in the second round, I think he could be a really, really good player if you can get him that late. And the thing is, and, and I'm saying this more for listeners than you, but nickel teams play nickel 60 plus percent of the time at this point, like a nickel corner is more valuable than a third linebacker. Yeah. I mean, that's what Tyron Matthew is a lot of times. Yes. He's a safety. He's a nickel. He's a playmaker. And I, and I only say this just because I don't have any problem with taking a nickel in the second round this is why I mentioned that. And the other guy I'll give you, and I think if he's there at nine, he's going to be a steal for you guys. He's my top rated offensive tackle in the class. That's Charles Cross from Mississippi State. I think if you're going to that wide kind of zone blocking scheme, he's super athletic. He moves extremely well. If I were the Jaguars, I'd draft him first overall because I think he's better than Evan Neal. Better pass protector from everything I've seen. I haven't I haven't watched him yet, but I've but I've heard that he is a superb pass protector. I can you play the right side? Is my big question. I don't no, I'm, I mean, I guess you could cross train him there. I mean, Penn Sewell played the right side this year after being a left tackle yep. and, you know, drafted very high last year. So he's got all the athletic ability and all the talent to do it. And I think he's going to be a great player. Last thing. And then I'll let you go. Who would be the worst player that the Broncos could take in nine? Like realistically, not obviously not a kicker. The worst player to take at nine. Um, that might actually happen. Kenny Pickett. I I don't love him that early, and I know a lot of quarterback hungry teams are going to look to take that quarterback early. You know, it always works out that way. Yeah, it's I think right. that's probably the one I'd like the least. If you get Sam Howell, I think that's okay. That's a little early for my taste, even though I like him a lot. He's my QB one. But like we said earlier, this isn't that top-heavy talent pool for quarterbacks this year. It's not the elite prospects. It's definitely my concern uh, just because the Broncos might be like QB desperate if they get to the draft and they still don't have a guy. Uh, The Vikings did take Christian Ponder really, really high. Um, They actually took Christian Ponder in the same draft that had Von Miller and all those guys. Um, Granted, again, George Payton wasn't – he was not the assistant GM at that time. I'm not trying to damn him, but he was part of the Vikings. So I, I do have some concern that they might end up leaning that way. The two first round quarterbacks they took while he was there were Christian Ponder and Teddy Bridgewater. So if it was Rick Spielman, it does look like they have a type. Um, so I'm hoping that they kind of veer away from that. I do know that the Broncos were interested in Trey Lance last year, um, but they were not interested in Justin Fields. Uh, I have it on good authority that they were not going to take Justin Fields regardless. So I'm, I'm, I'm definitely nervous about Kenny Pickett at nine. I, I will say that I do not think that they should take him that highly. Um, I think he'll be fine. I just don't think he'll ever be more than fine. Yeah. The Super Bowl window is not there with Kenny Pickett at nine. It's, no. it's not a good use of the resource. It's not a good enough player to take you there. I think that just kind of leaves you where you're at now in limbo. Yeah. Well, 
not to end on a dour note, uh, <laughs> but that, you know, kind of, that's kind of where I'm at with it. Uh, I hope, you know, that they trade for Aaron Rodgers and they are not picking until like the third round because they didn't forfeit future picks. I would love for them to use a lot of their ammo this year and then what they have to get rid of in the future and then come out of it with Aaron Rodgers and first round picks in like 2023 like or four, I guess, you know, realistically. Um, but, you know, we'll see. Uh, thank you for joining me guys. Again, if you do not follow JT on Twitter, go do it. He is at Icewater Olson. Go read his stuff over at Bucks Report. Yeah. Thanks for joining me. My pleasure. Anytime, brother.